Good morning. We are here this morning with Holly Cargill-Kramer, who, since the beginning of the year, has been the executive director of Tech, the Tech Valley Center of Gravity. Welcome, Holly. Thank you, Melissa. Great to be here. Yeah, well... I, of course, want to focus on your job, which is exciting, but I'd like to kind of start with who you are and how you got there. I've only ever met over the phone, Holly, once before, and I was just fascinated, particularly, I hope you make a stop along the way with the name Tech Valley and your experience with that. Sure. So fill us in on your career. Okay. Well, that's a long and winding road. Well, go, go ahead and start wherever it seems good to you. Well, I, uh, my, my first job was delivering the Knickerbocker News. Really? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so. so, wait, was this as a, like a child, a youth? I was 11 when I started delivering Oh, God, delivering because papers, I remember so. that used to yeah. be a gender-specific job. You it must was. Be. I was one of the first paper yeah, girls yeah. anybody had run into in the region, at least. Right, because you're younger so. than I am. Because I remember yeah. I wanted to be the, a paper boy, they were called, mm-hmm. yeah. and I was told no. So yeah. good for you. Yeah, Groundbreaking from the beginning. Stereotypes. Well, I was born, you know, I was born in 1960. Okay, so this is going to go in a completely different direction. Yeah. I was born in 1960, and so it came of age. It's interesting. My, I, I always think it's interesting. My sister and I are two years apart. She's two years older than I am. I only think my sister, you know, more, more or less, she really defines herself by traditional female roles I mean she did I mean as she aged it was much easier for her to go in a different direction but since I was born in 1960 as I was coming to age and you know uh, 11 or 12 years old that's when they were burning bras on the uh, you know the boardwalk in Atlantic City yes and that was in my face all the time as a very young girl so I think I sort of defied gender stereotypes very early on I was a little on the militant side and throughout the 70s I was good for you Working so you were that, out so. there pedaling your bike and tossing newspapers I with was, the boys. Yeah. I had one you. of the largest paper, longest paper routes in the region too, because uh, it's Voorheesville and everything back then was very spread out. So it's sixty-three papers and it covered about five miles. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's yep. a great beginning <laughs> to a career. It shows us you don't fit stereotypes. You go for the longest and best. Right. And yeah. Okay. So that was my first job. I I, I worked uh, ever since. You know, ever since I always had some kind of a job, um, but ended up because my father was a bar owner. I ended up learning how to tend bar very early on. Where, where so did he tend bar? He was had that? a bar in uh, Gildeland. In, uh, they called it McCormick's Corners way back then. It was a, years ago, it had been the State Fair was the name of the bar. It was on the corner of 146 and 20. Yeah. And uh, uh, it was called Racer's Place when he owned it. And I was, I think, 15 when he opened it. So learned how to make pizzas and and. Uh, and Started tending bar at a very, very, before probably I was 18 years old, when the drinking age was 18 back then. And you probably learned how to listen to people. Well, that's what I tell people all the time. Bartending was my best training for public relations and communications. Yeah. Because they, everybody wants to tell the bartender their story. And <laughs> you learn very early on how people form their opinions and you know where, where people get their, how people develop their thoughts and, and uh Depending upon what their background is and where they come from and what they're exposed to, and and uh, it's really good training for interpersonal communication too. I bet it is. Yeah. 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 
So that attended bar for, um, you know, was a fallback position for years, but I was a full-time job for a long time, too. I went to school for interpersonal, or for, excuse me, for um, child care technology when I got out of college, or high school and worked, uh, went to school at uh, St. Margaret's Institute in Albany. They had a, a um, career training program for uh, child care technicians. Worked with terminally ill and multiply handicapped infants in that in that hospital. It's now part of the center for or the um, center for uh, the disabled. Center for the disabled. That must have been difficult now. work. It was. It was very rewarding, but it's not work that you stay in for a long time yeah. as a young person. I think and uh, ended up um, leaving there and uh, spent a year as a governess. Um, for a couple, an English couple that was living down in uh, Hudson at the time. I was going to say, governess is such a British word. I know, and right? It was very mean, unusual at the yes. time, too. Um, and uh, lived down in this mansion in Stockport for a year, um, which was a great experience as well. And then uh, came back here in 79, or you know, early 80, I guess, um, and started attending bar again. And uh, worked full-time attending bar for about four years and decided I really needed to find some other way to support myself long term. Um, ended up uh, actually going to the um, center or the um, Educational Opportunity Center in Albany, uh, which is a program that still exists, part of Hudson Valley and SUNY system, uh, where people who have um, low income people can get training, uh, vocational training. And at the time, I uh, studied word processing. And at that particular time, word processors were brand new. And they were the size of most people's desks these days. And they had a key for everything. If you wanted bold, you hit the bold key. Um, I think there was probably 300 keys on the keyboard. And uh, I had a really fancy machine. My first job I had a dual 13-inch floppy drive on it. Oh, floppy drives. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. 13 inches, yeah, no less. Yeah. Um, and I learned how to word process. And um, it was a brand new technology at the time so I was in high demand and started word processing and um, I really loved the work and um, so started moving from association to association or not-for-profit to a not-for-profit when I left the chamber I went to the um, New York State Builders Association and uh, started using a PC there and uh, tracking legislation and that was at a time when you still ran up and down the state you know State Street Hill to get to the Capitol and go to the bill, you know, the, to the printing office and pick up your copy of the bill and, you know, run back down the hill and make photocopies for everybody to read and stick them in cubbies and um, have this huge library of all the legislative bills that, the, you know, could be pulled out of the cubbies and read. And uh, I did that for about two years, three years. And... Um, uh, ended up taking a position at the College of St. Rose as the executive vice president to the uh, or executive secretary to the vice president there, and uh, that allowed me to take classes for free. And so I enrolled in classes and started taking classes right about the time that I found out I was pregnant for my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I took classes until I didn't fit in the desks anymore. And um, uh, and what were these classes in? What did you choose Well, to I study? started with business, you yeah. know, business administration, because I think everybody was, you know, that that's fits, fits every, every niche, I guess, um, uh, and took the basic, you know, starter classes, the intro to accounting and intro mm-hmm. to business management and things like that. And probably about a year and a half into it, 
decided that maybe this wasn't the the tour that I wanted to take, and ended up um, asking um, um, my advisor if there was a way to tailor uh, a degree program to something that I wanted to do. And uh, they had an interdisciplinary studies program. And the first step in that was to do interviews with people who were in the jobs that you wanted to have and, and ask them, what kind of classes would you take if you could go back and start all over again in college? Well, what a great idea. Right? Yeah. yeah. So um, uh, I started doing those interviews. I went, did one with Rhonda Childs. I did one with um, Sue Ann or Lou, Betty. I can't remember her name. Gosh, she was the home economist for Price Chopper. And um, a couple of other women that were in roles. Rhonda Childs was the vice president for um, community relations for Blue, Shop, Blue, Blue Cross Blue Shield at the time. And I loved the idea of her job to be out there and being the face of the organization in the community and interacting with, the, with people on behalf of the company. So the, what they dealt, hands down, what almost all of them told me, was take every writing class you could possibly take because the writing separates you. Being able to write and speak um, clearly, fluently, and get ideas across quickly and uh, concisely was a... Um, skill that was even at that time highly in demand and rare Um, and and being able to write in particular was what separated you from other people so I started on that path with the interdisciplinary studies all the um, the liberal arts core areas and choose classes that would be um, that were that could be rolled into communications but it it was really more about inter interdisciplinary communications than about journalism or public communications. And that's what I ended up getting my degree in nine years later <laughs> as I uh, worked to raise my daughter and, and uh, uh, with uh, my eventually husband and um, uh, took classes nights and weekends until, um, and through that I went, uh, worked at St. Rose for a few years Brief. My one brief stint in for-profit was with a year with the Michaels Group, mm-hmm. uh, the builder, and then I went back to not-for-profit with. We uh, returned to the Albany Colony Chamber of Commerce for a short period before um, quitting school or quitting, stop working full time and start went back to bartending part time while I finished my degree in, in um, two years full time. Finished my degree in 1994 and began the public, started, um, first job after that was as the Director of Public Relations and Volunteer Services for Villa Mary Immaculate Nursing Home in Albany, which is part of, um, rolled into Mercy Care eventually, now St. Peter's um, Health Partners, was a nursing home. And um, from there, worked there for f- almost five years before going to the New York. And did your training work? You were oh, the face of the community. I think so. Yeah, especially with that. Vo- yeah, especially with the combination with the volunteer services. It was yeah. a great fit. Yeah. And then um, to the New York State Restaurant Association, which was one of the best jobs. I one of my favorite jobs ever. Why? Why was, was that a, a favorite uh, job? Because I'm a foodie. I'm, I love food. <laughs> I love food and yeah. creative food and whatnot. And it becomes your job to dine. And yeah. that was in um, 1997, 98, um, when the Food Network was first born. I mean, just really uh, born. And, and chefs were not stars. There was a couple of you know famous chefs like Julia Child and... Yeah. Um, the the galloping gourmet Graham Caron, people like that, but chefs weren't stars, 
And um, they were just kind of rising um, with the advent of the Food Network. And we would go down to New York City for the food, um, for the restaurant and food show for a couple of weeks. And they would wine and dine us like we were the stars, you know. Uh, Alfred Portal would come out and, you know, <laughs> do special food, you know, special tastings for us and stuff like that. It was just fabulous. I loved it. Worked there for three years and on to the um, uh, SUNY Cobalt Skill. As oh, this is him. where I wanted yeah. to take a detour yeah. because there's so much interest right now in what to do with waste and how to get oh, energy. Yeah. And yeah. so tell us a little about um, <laughs> about that. Well, um, uh, got, in my years at SUNY Cobalt Skill, I was there for about um, nine years. I ended up moving, uh, starting in just a very small public, public relations office and moving into, because I guess because I had a knack for it, I guess. Um, more and more being um, the president asking me to take on a government relations role as well. And um, I did state relations for them for a while, and then they um, they had a professor, Doug Goodale, who had been after um, a federal appropriation to, for a, um, a gasifying system for um, several years, and it had been unsuccessful, and the president brought me in and asked me if I could take a look at the application and... Um, work with um, some folks on getting that application to a um, more acceptable um, place. And was, uh, thank God, working with uh, Congressman Mike, McS- Mike McNulty was very successful in the short period of time. When we re- They received $1.3 million um, to begin to develop a gasification system that would make um, uh, make energy from organic waste and cow manure. Um, That was the basis, and it was part of SUNY's first um, ever Defense Department appropriation uh, for, because the Defense Department had gotten into it because they wanted to see if we could make a gasification system that they could use in the field, um, in theater, because, uh, you know, an Army um, camp generates a lot of waste. Mm -hmm. And if they could use the system that we developed for the farms to uh, um, and make it a small and portable system that the army could keep on in theater it would not you know would give them a way to eliminate waste and create energy for use in the in the field so um uh, suny cobalt skill now has a gasifier on campus um, they've been studying it for a number of years and are getting ready to commercialize it now it takes a long time for to do that kind of research and whatnot but yeah but what a great thing to have on the cusp of happening right and, and it was just it so much really was early in that warming now. early in yeah. that uh era i think so again it was your english skills that came through you knew how to it tell was. a story it was and the get writing. a grant yeah yep. it was being able to take complex ideas and um and uh really uh, drill down into them and uh make them understandable for other people, and the other thing with that kind of writing is the first person, the person you got to get through first before it goes anywhere is the staffer, who has you know, five, you know, three hundred of these proposals on their desk that they have to get through. So, um, the I think probably people want to have the desire to give as much information as possible. So they end up with these thick packets on their desk that they don't have time to read. We had to really condense it to to something that they could pick up and understand 
in you know in five minutes make it accessible understand this concept um understand what it means what the how the science would work i mean they didn't have to be the scientist that was going to do it they just had to understand how the science would work and how it would apply to what they were doing in a very short quick turnaround time and if you could do that in one page then you made it in i think that you make it into the well maybe this is maybe this is an interesting one pile and you just work yeah. your way in. Yeah. so it was definitely writing again so um but anyway worked at suny Skill for nine years and uh ended up in the midst of the last recession uh being part and you know in a and in, in a leadership turn- turnover uh, getting laid off and then forayed back into association management uh was with the uh uh, Alzheimer's Association for a couple of years locally, and then got recruited by the Association Development Group, which is a company in uh, Albany that runs um, not-for-profit trade associations and uh, by contract. They uh, run uh, associations all over the world. And uh, went in there and started specializing a little bit and transitioning troubled organizations or new organizations um, and uh, just had a ball with that for did a couple of years. Did any stand out? That, like, when you say in the world, were there like far-flung... One of the first, I, when I started there, when the, they brought me in to work with an organization that was transitioning, it was like a 10-year-old organization that had been run by volunteers for most of their um, history and had, over the, the previous two years, been transitioning to professional management and were, you know, hitting some... Uh, bumps and starts and, and uh, before coming to the Association Development Group. And it was the Society for Integrative Oncology, which was doctors, nurses, massage practitioners, n- dietitians, and um, uh, acupuncture practitioners that were all people that f- um, believed in and wanted to promote and research um, complementary treatments for people who have cancer, um, things that would help them through other traditional treatments as well as, um, you know, uh, contribute hopefully to their uh, overall health and um, maybe even fight the cancer itself. So that's an in, was an international organization and um, fascinating. That was one yeah. of them that I worked with, the Insurance Brokers Association of New York, New York State Nursery and Landscape Association, oh which goodness. was like going home after working on uh, in um, agriculture and yeah. uh, being able to work with people like Richard Ball and Pete Tenike and um, you know other other folks that had been part of my life sort of growing up anyway. But um, and uh, then uh, the position came up for the Center of Gravity um, in October last year, and um, someone to put it in front of me and said this is your job you need to go here and I researched it and read about it and said wow this this is some exciting stuff and well so here we are now that we know this this background wow right I told you it was a circuitous route (laughs) but it, it it all it all has a common thread though it has this idea of you're a person who can reach into different people figure things out and make things work i mean that's and communicate yeah and communicate it all goes back i think to the communication too and some of that is that interpersonal communication and all the way back to the bartending where you can listen to somebody and understand their idea and why they want to do what they want to do and how 
you know, and, and then find, help them find the route to get there. And relationship building. That's really what I'm all about is that that's, that's really the thing between the writing and the ability to help other people create relationships. I think that's... And it's um, getting to be a lost skill these days. <laughs> I think so, yeah. So many people don't communicate, you know... Directly. Yeah. It's Directly, yeah. It's a, it's a huge of, challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so tell us about the new job and specifically the name because okay. one of the things a side trip I thought you'd take me didn't <laughs> so I'm just going to mention it because when I talked to you when you first got this job you said you were kind of in the room when Walter Wally Wally Altus came coined up. the phrase Tech Valley yeah <laughs> and you said it was kind of people were chuckling at the time well they were yeah, yeah that was when my second stint with the Albany Colony Chamber of Commerce a couple of years after the Center for Economic Growth came about and um, uh, they were just beginning to think about the possibility that Albany might be be able to attract the kind of technology uh, companies that would mimic um, the, the growth of Silicon Valley. And um, at the time, Wally, like, Wally said, we're going to call it, you know, we're, we, we're going to be the next Silicon Valley. We're going to be Tech Valley. And everybody laughed. I mean, at the time, everybody thought it was ludicrous that the, um, you know, the Albany area was ever going to develop into a kind of tech valley or a, tech, a technology mecca of any kind. And I, you know, I think probably that's... We're, we can be a little parochial in this area, so it's not, it's not surprising that, you know, people yeah. kind of poo-pooed it at the time. Um, but yeah, I think every, everywhere you go, people are... They don't really see the value of the place that they live in quite as clearly as people from the outside. You know, it's that person that's mm-hmm. lived in New York for 20 years and never been to the Statue of Liberty. Or, you know, yeah. you, don't, you don't see the that's region right that you're in. in for. Yeah. And I think at the time, I, that my ability to see what the region has to offer comes from having worked for the Chamber of Commerce a couple of times. And um, so I could see it, but I didn't know how we were ever going to get there. And so all so, these years later. <laughs> yeah. So your new center, it has Tech Valley at its start of at its name. Core. And tell yeah. us about the rest of the name, Center of Gravity. So the Center of Gravity, the concept of the Center of Gravity came out. Um, Leibon Koblenz, who was uh, um, the, one of our founders and had been chief of staff for Shirley uh, Jackson when she first came to RPI. She, he had worked with her at the Nuclear Reg- Regulatory Commission. Um, it, it, in his role working at RPI, there had been a number of studies done in the growth of Tech Valley that, talked, that uh, looked at what drew smart, young, technologically savvy people to a region or to an area or kept them there? Because Albany has so many colleges and universities, the capital region does, and people come here. Um, you know, there was a lot of studies done on why aren't they staying? Why mm-hmm. are they leaving when they? And, and um, uh, one of the things that came out of it was that um, young people who were looking for tech jobs wanted a uh, to live in a vibrant, growing urban air, area or, or in a place where there was a vibrant urban uh, area they didn't necessarily have to live there but they wanted to be able to go to a vibrant urban area to work play um, socialize and whatnot and um, and maker spaces were a well, maker space was high on the list of what kept technology 
talented technology in a region. And makerspaces had been born about 10, 15 years ago in the northwest, southwest, or northwest and you know, northern California region. And that was one of the things that they that people from Silicon Valley cited as something that would you know they found attractive about a region. So he started working on that. So that center of gravity is uh, what draws and and main and, and holds people Keeps, to people a place. Yeah. yeah. So that um, I, it, it was a really creative way to to get um, you know to name it. And it doesn't tell people right away what it is, but I'm not sure how you would tell people right away what it is. It's well, so tell us things. what it is, because first of all, where it is and who is there, as well as so, yeah. what it is. So the Tech Valley Center of Gravity is at its heart. It's at its heart. It is a makerspace, and a makerspace is a place where people go to play. It's basically a technological playground. Um, the Tech Valley Center of Gravity is on the corner of 3rd and Broadway in Troy. It is at the very heart and center of a revival going on in downtown Troy. Um, we're in a uh, 15,000 square feet of light-filled, beautiful space um, that was created out of a renovated, uh, derelict, de- old downtown department store. And... Um, Uh, Two floors of the Quackenbush building is what it's called, where we have um, technology that's everything from a community kitchen to 3D printing to a fiber arts area that has sewing machines that do everything from serging to uh, sew leather and canvas, um, electronics, uh, a laser cutter, um, a full wood shop. And uh, full wood. It's a wood shop that Norm Abrams would admire, and uh, a metal shop and a welding shop down in the basement, as well as uh, uh, parts and storage for all kinds of fun electronic leftovers that have been given to us to strip and take apart and make new things out of. And uh, it is a five hundred one c three member-supported organization. Um, Our members join and pay a monthly membership fee to have access to the equipment and the creative community that um, forms around people that want to use it and play with it and share ideas and spark new ideas. And um, uh, uh, it's just a a phenomenal place. It has to be seen to be completely appreciated. Well, you've painted a pretty good picture of it with just your words but tell us if you can just an example or two of someone or some group that is there and using the space and what kinds of things they're doing with it well there there are people that do everything from uh, you know uh, participate in renaissance festivals and need a place where they can build their web or create their weapons in their costumes and things like that to um uh, there's a young man named uh, Yamar Carter that just opened a store on Lark Street in Albany called Yamaguchi. And Yamar um, was, you know, um, this young man that kept peeking through the windows when they were rehabbing the place. And the president let him in one day and said, what are you interested in? And um, gave him a membership to get started with. And he turned out to be an incredible young artist who took to the laser cutter and now... Um, and started picking up things off the street that people were discarding and creating artwork out of them on the laser cutter. He now has a, he opened a, 
uh, during Larkfest. He had the grand opening of Yamaguchi. So Yamaguchi is like an art store? It's a a store. It is. It's like an art store for uh, Yamar's creations that he's made from reclaimed things that he finds on the street that he decorates and um, uh, fixes up and makes and repurposes. Um, uh, another young lady there has um, a business called South End Pallet Works, and she makes furniture from discarded shipping pallets. Um, there's folks there that are working on tweaking technology for real um, serious um, tech businesses, um, looking to create technology that helps with you know water pur- purification or hydro hydro aqua, or aquaponics and um, so there's some real serious, you know, marketable yeah, that's more research the kind of being thing done I there thought as you well. were going to say, but isn't it yeah. interesting? There are also that's these people that are, very yeah, finding yeah. discarded objects and making art. Oh yeah, and, or just along with, hobbyists yeah. or people that just want, you know, who who have technical skills but don't have want to have all of that equipment in their home or can't afford sure. to have all that equipment in their home and just need to use some of it once in a while. So they pay $60 a month to have access to it. Well, that's what uh-huh. it is, just $60. It's $60 a month yeah. for a full membership, which allows you to come in um, Monday through Friday in the evening and on the weekends. Um, so that's the base membership because so many people will only use it nights and weekends sure. because they're working during the day. And even full membership or, or super user membership is only $100. That's 24-7 access. So it's very, very reasonable. 24-7 is literally around the clock? Literally 24-7. Like they have access to one the, in the morning. Yep. And, oh. Because that's, sometimes that's when creative, creative <laughs> juices flow. So, uh, yeah, actually, they, they, it is 24-7. And we do have people in the place at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. So do you um, find that people just go to their own spaces and work? intently and go away or do they interact with each other or is there like cross-pollination oh there's a lot of cross-pollination whether it's intentional or it's uh, i mean it, it is a big open space there are not a lot of walls in the tech valley center of gravity so it's a big open space you can almost can't do things in a in a pocket mm-hmm. um, without somebody at least noticing what you're working on or what you're doing um, but there's there's the quiet ones that come in and out and just do their thing and they leave. But it's really very social environment. We have a, um, a social hour and open house every Tuesday with potluck. Um, and the members bring in some pretty creative... They, they come up with some pretty creative potluck on Tuesday nights. Well, what a lovely old-fashioned thing we get, like yeah. in the ladies' auxiliary at the right? potluck that yeah. you're also doing in this kind yeah. of high-tech sure. environment. Well, yeah. we have potluck on... Uh, we have, Sometimes we have regular potluck, which is when somebody brings in a couple of rotisserie chickens, but then we have nights where the potluck is um, cooking shrimp on a 500-year-old Himalayan salt block that, <laughs> uh, or... Um, uh, periodically, about every two months, we have nitrogen ice cream nights where uh, one of our members brings in a bottle of liquid nitrogen and we break out the KitchenAid and see what we can make ice cream out of. Um, you can make ice cream out of pretty much anything with lit- liquid nitrogen. <laughs> if it's edible, you can make ice cream oh out of it. So. But it's kind of fun, you know, yeah. little, make it a little witch's brew and it ends up being ice cream and, you know, the... the, the, the um, uh, fog comes out of it and all that stuff is fun but uh but that's the um that's what really makes it a, a true maker space to me i think there's a i i feel a lot of of calls and questions and 
tours about people maker the maker movement and maker education kind of rolls in very well to steam education mm-hmm. um, which is a real big push these days and so i um, a lot of schools want to have their own maker spaces and libraries want to have their own maker spaces but they're a completely different kind of thing the equipment is not what really makes a successful maker space as much as it is the creative community and the people that are bouncing ideas off of each other and helping each other learn new skills and how to use a new piece of equipment or take an idea to the next level when you're stuck. Um, so that creative community in, uh, is a critical part of uh, the success of a makerspace. So tell us your role in all of this. I'm the, the chief cat herder. Um, so uh, really the reason that I came into the I think that I was identified as the best candidate for the center of gravity is that it, it, it's I, I'm learning how old I am really quickly I started using the phrase it's a baby Huey and nobody knew who I was taught what I was talking about um, baby Huey being this cartoon character that was a giant baby duck so it's three years old I mean really the center of gravity has only been um, alive and kicking for about four years which is very young to be the size that it is and as much of a success as it is it's very sexy right now too everybody wants to get involved with this maker space and what's going on there and and um but it had been run primarily all volunteer managed for many years or you know for the since its inception and um, uh, people were putting as much time and energy into it as they could with the skills that they had. But most of them were technicians and scientists and engineers and um, definitely not people that had been involved or had any experience in organizational management or, or this, you know, especially creating a not-for-profit and the governance structures and the membership development systems and volunteer management systems and things like that. So I came in to begin to create that and to um, enhance their overall communication and whatnot. Right about the time that they, between the time that they conducted the search and the time that I started the position, they also got funding to create a rapid, or a prototyping center um, uh, grant funding to create a prototyping center on the first floor, and then we're identified by the state as the newest 16V business incubator in New York State and got funding from Empire State Development to develop that over the next five well, years. Well, tell us a little about what that means to be a business incubator. Um, in our instance, so the um, Empire State Development provides uh, funding for organizations to um, uh, work with startup businesses uh, or people who have the spark of an idea and and help them take it from ideation to market. And there's different stages in there, a lot of different stages in that incubation process. Um, And um, different incubators may um, specialize in different things, like there may be a, a software incubator or a um, SUNY Cobleskill has an agricultural incubator for ag businesses, and we have a what we've created and are getting ready to launch is a manufacturing incubator. So we have um, we're going to help people who have a physical product that they want to create and make and bring to market to understand what the manufacturing process for that item is. Part of that is the prototyping, where you have to create something that has. Um, say you made came up with a concept for the better mousetrap and you have a wooden part and metal part and a plastic part. Um, normally a person would have to, you have to 
create a prototype of this thing that you have in your head before you can bring it to market and um, or find investors or any of those things. So you might have to take to go to a metal shop and a wood shop and a place that may, does plastic parts in different places and have them design what you have in each different piece separately. Try to bring them back together and make them fit and work together. Mm-hmm. When they need to be tweaked, you go back to the metal guy, back to the wood guy, back to the plastic gal, um, and it gets expensive and time-consuming. A prototyping center, like the one that we're creating, is putting all the equipment to do those things in one place and teaching people how to use it themselves so that they can come in oh, so they get make trained their own product. ideally i mean mm-hmm. there there may be people oh, we may be working with people that really don't want to get into that nitty gritty of um of understanding and making it themselves and want to work with somebody else who does and we, there will be uh, members that um, will have that expertise that we can refer them to but um, there's no way to learn better than to actually do something yourself and understand the feel of it and how it works and what happens to it when you put it under certain conditions so that you begin to understand um, how they react, how it reacts to different things and to really understand how something is created so that you can avoid pitfalls in the process when you take it to manufacture um, for real. And uh, so we're going to teach folks um, what their manufacturing process is and what they need to know to take it from making it themselves to um, contracting with a a manufacturer somewhere else in the world. We'll actually produce it. Wow. Well, our time has gone really fast. Are there any closing thoughts that you have that we just haven't touched on that you think are important for people to know either about yourself or COD? So, you know, I'll bring it right back around to your first question about the Tech Valley. Because um, the thing that I want people to know most about um, the Tech Valley Center of Gravity is that it is the Tech Valley Center of Gravity. And Tech Valley is a a really big area. I mean, we cover five or six counties. but I think, you know, that parochialism causes us to say, oh, across the river? I don't, I don't know. Why would I go over there? Well, it's only five minutes away, but there's a river there and you don't go. It, it, and you go it, every day. I go every so. day. It's a 25-minute <laughs> ride from Voorheesville to Troy. It's beautiful. Um, I really encourage people to come and see the place and, and visit Troy at the same time because it's really fun um, vibrant, growing, you know, exciting place to be and right now. And do people need an appointment to do that? Or? You know, they don't. It's always uh, it's always welcome, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to know that you're coming and that you want to visit the place. But um, we we take people walk in for tours, and there's always Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights um, from six thirty to nine is open house, and I encourage people to come and take a look at the place. It's the kind of place that you have to be told about and you have to see it. I can put pictures in a brochure, but. Walking into the, even people that have known about it for years but not been there walk in and go, wow, this is so much more than I ever expected I'd find. So. Well, you paint good verbal pictures, and thank you for doing that. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs>